there are no uh, pressing announcements, and we can go straight to the call to worship. Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song and its praise in the congregation of the saints. The Lord take pleasure in his people, he will beautify the meek with salvation. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing hymn 218, 218. Whoops, what? 126, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Psalm 126a. God, we're thankful that we have reaped much in this nation, in our lives, Lord, much prosperity and protection and goodness, Lord, that is from your hand. And we ask this evening, God, as we come before you, that we would continue to offer all that we have in our hearts and lives to you, Lord, to be used in accordance to your word and your will. We pray, God, for your spirit to be among us this evening, Lord, as you bring praises before you, God, and that we would be sanctified and encouraged accordingly. In your name alone we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now we can go to 218.
Amen. Let us pray. We do rejoice, God, in the salvation we have freely through Christ Jesus and the wonderful blessings and fruit therein, God, upon our soul as we are giving 
given, Lord, uh, preservation of our soul until the coming of Christ Jesus. We are given strength and grace day by day. We are given the fruits of the Spirit, Lord, to be used upon the body of Christ and for one another, God, and for your glorious name. We are given many uh, blessings, God, and many uh, abilities and strengths and opportunities and stewardship, Lord, uh, for your kingdom's sake and for one another, God. And we're thankful for that, Lord. We praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask, God, that you would be especially with our efforts and foreign missions in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, for Benjamin Hopp there in Haiti, God, and the difficult situation he finds himself in down there, Lord, and how confusing and messed up it is in many ways. And, Lord, we pray for his protection and protection of his family, God, and their wisdom on how to deal with the situation. And we ask, God, for uh, wisdom and resources for other situations across the world in our missions, God, that you would be with our Foreign Missions Committee, Lord, uh, and the hard work that they put into maintaining the protection and anonymity of those involved, Lord. I've read some of the reports as a committee that's looking over their work, God, to keep them uh, accountable. And I pray, God, that would continue. And I pray, Lord, that we would have uh, wisdom and understanding of how best to use the funds and the resources and the manpowers, Lord, and everything else that we have for the good of the kingdom's sake, Lord, across and overseas. We pray, God, in particular, for Mori Yuamoto, and we ask, Lord, that you would be with him and others of his kind working in Japan on a very hard mission field with very little fruit over the decades, that you would be with them, that you would give them wisdom, you would give them insight, you give them good connections there, Lord, and uh, your blessings would be upon them especially. And we ask and pray, God, that you would help uh, us as presbyteries and as local churches to the extent that we are involved with foreign missions and supporting such pastors and new men coming up into the fields, Lord, that we too would be given wisdom, that we too, Lord, would be given understanding and encouragement to do the right thing with respect to foreign missions and who to support and how and how much. These are matters uh, of debates, Lord, and good people of good conscience, God, for sometimes it's not always clear what we should do. And we do all things, God, as committees, as presbyteries, Lord, as individuals and churches, to the glory of your name. We ask, God, that you would uh, be with us with respect to our health and our body, that we would take care of ourselves and do what we can for diet and exercise. And God, we pray, especially for those who are high risk, that you would protect and watch over them in various sundry ways in which they find themselves with other sicknesses as well, Lord. We have those with chronic ailments. And we lift them up before you, God, and how hard it can be to see our bodies fail before us, Lord, and fits and pieces, and sometimes it gets better even quickly, and then it goes away again, uh, Lord, to pain. And we ask that you would be with them a special measure, and God, the members of the church who are struggling, and that we would continue to pray for them, that they know that we are thinking of them, and we would encourage them as we can, God. Be with them, we pray, and help them find good doctors, help them find good information, take care of their body, Lord, and heal them. Above all, we pray for a good healing. We ask, God, that you would be with us in our various callings and vocations in life, uh, wherever we are in the city, in the various uh, suburbs and parts of the city, God, that you would help us uh, be a witness to a lost and dying world, Lord, and that uh, you would bless us, God, with our companies and our neighborhoods, Lord, and our communities, uh, with uh, good and safe communities and companies, Lord, that take care of us, uh, neighbors, Lord, that take care of us in their own way, to be sure, Lord, uh, and that uh, we would continue, Lord, to have such unity and safety uh, wherever we are as Christians in this country, in this nation that we find ourselves in, Lord, as we are called to pray for the peace of the country and the leaders that we find over us. And so we pray, Lord, for our civil magistrates, uh, for our mayors, Lord, for our uh, 
committees, God, of the counties, Lord, and for the judges and for the sheriffs and the like, God, that you would be with them in your providence, God, that they would exercise and do their duties, especially with the protection of Christians in their churches, God, and uh, they would execute justice and maintain order. And we ask, Lord, that these things would continue and give us wisdom in voting and how to best approach and know who to vote for, sometimes not to vote for anybody at all, as hard as that can be, God. We pray and ask that your spirit would be used in extra measure for us, Lord, in these difficult times we find ourselves in, especially in the local situations, Lord, and the local laws and difficulties and blessings that we have. Help us to that end, Lord, to be wise, to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. In your name alone we pray. Amen. We now the tithes and offerings. rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We are thankful, God, and do praise you for the many blessings, God. We praise you for the opportunity to give these tithes and offerings. Give them, we pray, and bless those who have given them, God, and may they be multiplied. In your name alone we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 29 is our text. Psalm 29, let us listen attentively to the word of God. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Sirion like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And and in his temple, everyone says, Glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. And the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Let us pray. With these words of praise, God, to you. May our hearts sing praises to you as well with David. Help us, we pray, spirit of truth, and that we would be continued to be encouraged and to be strengthened with the preaching of the word and the giving of this psalm into our hearts this week, Lord, and throughout the remainders of our life, God, to praise you, to 
Magnify your majesty and your power, as we see, especially in this psalm, Lord. And to stand in awe of who you are and how you have taken all that might and power, God. You are over all of creation. And you give, Lord, your strength to your weak people. And you bless them, God. We are thankful for that. In your name alone we pray. Amen. As we know, nature is amazing. The powerful storms, the brilliant thunder and lightnings we have experienced even here in Colorado, the overwhelming hurricanes we see in the TV, the peaceful snowfall itself, and yet such memorable things as we know are not nature as such, and use the way often Americans use the word nature, that is a nature that does not, that exists without God, that is not a nature that does exist. That's not what I mean by nature, obviously. I mean God's creation. We know that nature is dependent upon God. It is directed by God. It is not independent of God. The thunderstorms, the powerful rains and winds, the hurricanes, the blizzards, these are all but part of God's plan and action. Now, of course, the unbeliever stands in awe and attributes the glory of nature to an inanimate object that they call nature. Christians, however, we, however, know that the power of nature is nothing without the power of God, and rather it expresses and shows but a small portion of the majesty and might and strength of our Lord and Savior. This psalm is about the power of God and the majesty that flows from it and how we ought to honor Him and stand in awe of Him and to be thankful to know that He has lent that strength to us as we read at the end in verse 11, even to the point of giving us peace and deliverance and salvation. So the first point is, give unto the Lord a refrain in the opening sections of this psalm, verses 1 and 2. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Uh, the word there, mighty ones, something it suggests of angels, others of men of power. Either way, like kings and warriors, it matters not. Uh, if it's true for them, it's certainly true for us. Everyone on earth, although mighty, is not mighty compared to the Lord God Almighty. Their mightiness is but a drop in the bucket. And they are to give their strength and mighty and ability to God, to magnify Him, to be under Him, to acknowledge Him. That's the language here of giving to submit to Him. Whatever they may be, whatever power they think they have is ultimately God's, as we know, and ought to be given to God and acknowledgement of who He is. And so... I think we all know, obviously, that when it says, give unto the Lord, give him glory and strength, it's not giving God in the sense of God's deficient. He doesn't have enough strength. He needs your help. But rather to acknowledge and therefore to submit to him and honor and praise him. It's a shorthand way, a very uh, poetic way of speaking. In uh, Psalm 89.6 we read, For who is in the skies is comparable to the Lord, who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord. There it is again, sons of the mighty. Although they are mighty, it's a relative might. It's not an absolute might. Who is like the Lord? Not even the sons of the mighty are like the Lord. They themselves must acknowledge God's strength and might and submit to him and give him honor and give him glory and say yes. And attributes is the idea, him all the strength and glory that they have, which isn't really theirs, but ultimately God's through them. And so these mighty beings, men of power and might and renown and kings, Remember back then, right, the kings of the ancient Near East were traditionally called despots, and they say, jump, and you ask, how high? We don't have that today as much, although we have our own problems, to be sure. But 
if they are not equal to God and they are commanded and urged to glorify God and acknowledge all strength goes to him, all glory and honor should go to him, how much more should we, who are not mighty ones, all the more? So either way, we are called to give glory to God and to acknowledge that our power is from his power. We should glorify and honor him. We should glorify him in thought, word, and deed, of course. He's obviously not saying, give unto the Lord half your heart, half of your praise. No, obviously all of it. Not just externally, but their whole heart and all that they are. In praise and work and in life, all of it. Give. And the idea of giving glory to God there, uh, mentioned a few times, right? In 1B and then 2A, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Uh, you've heard this before. The word glory there is weight. When something is a weighty matter, what does that mean? We give it due consideration. It's a serious concern. This, of course, is not a weighty matter. God is not a matter, but a being. He's a weighty being in that sense. And thus we should give him all serious consideration and due and proper honor. God is the greatest being that we should take with the greatest amount of seriousness. He is the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega of all of creation. To give him glory is to attribute to God proper honor and respect. The greatest of all respect and the greatest of all honor. That's what's being said here when it says, give to the Lord glory. I know in English that word glory uh, seems to have died off in kind of an abstract way. Uh, well, we're glorifying people. We give people glory or something. It, it's the idea of respect and honor and submission to God and all that entails to the greatest of all beings. Of course, in practice, that means praising him as we sing a psalm, Psalm 29. And it means uh, also as well uh, that we uh, obey him and follow him as well. Do, uh, give him strength, it says. Give him glory, give him strength, that is the power might of God is ascribed to him. Not that they are giving him strength, as I said before, and he's missing it, but to attribute and to recognize and honor God's might and power that they are underneath. Due to his name, that is, due to who he is, worship the Lord in the glory due to his name. What's the amount of glory due to the greatest name and the greatest being, but the greatest of all glory and the greatest of all submission? Everyone, everywhere, should praise and honor and love the Lord. And the call here to the mighty ones is to all the mighty ones of the earth. And again, I reiterate, if it's true for the mighty ones, how much more is it true for we who are less than mighty, that we should honor him who is greater than us? It is what everyone is due to him. We are to honor him and submit to him. To worship in holiness, verse 2b, given to the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The question is, uh, what holiness is being spoken of here? A personal quality of God, our own personal holiness? Uh, certainly if it's the quality of God's holiness and we worship him, we must also worship him what? In the holiness that we have, because God will accept nothing less but that we should be holy in his presence. Uh, and so I will cover both ideas uh, although it's not clear from the psalmist which way, I, th I think it's the former way because it's ascribing God all these honors, and one of the honors is the honors of his holiness It would seem to fit here. The holiness of God, that is his personal quality of moral beauty. Not the beauty of the eyes, but the beauty of morality and of the heart, where we recognize and worship God for who he is, and that includes his separation from the world, from the world of wickedness and sin. He is a pure God who cannot behold wickedness in his presence and will not. His being is separate from creation, as the creator is from the creation itself. His being is morally upright, 
and all that he does and says. Is he a man that he should lie, he tells us? Of course not, for he is holy and pure. This alone is sufficient for us to bow down before him. And the beauty of holiness, the world looks at beauty, obviously in terms of outward forms of what the eye sees, and there's a place for that. I like to see beautiful things and pictures and places and the like. This is the beauty of moral holiness, of absolute perfection and righteousness, not just as a, a wonderful, perfect God, but also as a just judge. That's also a position of what? Moral uprightness. It should be, and it is for God. And all that he executes is perfect and absolutely right. And that's a beautiful thing to see justice absolutely executed from our God above. And of course, the beauty of holiness in general, that is all of us should imitate our God and Savior and walking in a moral, upright life. And we do so by his strength and power. And we do so in a way of honoring him to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We're supposed to worship with a worship of holiness and purity before him and submission to his word and how he wants worship. We must praise him in his holiness and not in sin, and all things related to his worship must be holy. And that is why we take public worship seriously, because the world is watching. So that's the opening refrain. And then we get to the meat of this psalm, verses 3 through 9, the voice of the Lord. Over and over again, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. The voice, of course, of God is the word of God, spoken. In the Old Testament, it is full of God speaking, as we know, from heaven through the prophets and in visions, even uh, to pagan kings. They get visions from God. It is not a voice in the sense that God has a mouth, but that God comes down to our level and stoops to us and speaks to us as a father speaks to a child. And he uses words that we understand, and the words represents, in this case and in all cases with God, the voice of power. When we speak, sometimes people respond. That's an expression of power. Other times they don't respond. (laughs) Depends how much power they think you have over them. God speaks, things happen. They always happen. It will happen. It cannot but happen. That's the power of God. And that's what we see here in these verses. That his power, which is native to him, just as his word is native to him, is exercised across the world. It's a powerful word. Kings can speak, and people will jump and obey, of course, but when God speaks, kings jump. The mighty ones obey. Now, of course, this is metaphorical, as I said before. There's not a literal uh, mouth of God as such, although voices and sound waves come at times in the Old Testament. We have them written down uh, when God spoke from the heavens and spoke to the prophets. The voice represents, as I said before, the power of God in these passages very clearly, how he commands and directs and uses all of it for his glory. And we see then the voice of God in action in verses um, 5 through 9. Now, in verses 3 to 4, we have perhaps something that echoes the Genesis creation account, where we have the voice of God. Speaking over the waters, verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dried land appear. And it was so. What? God spoke. The voice of the Lord spoke. And things were created. Here, of course, there's not creation as much as providence, the sustaining of creation. Those are the two great acts of all things by God, creation and providence. Here we have providence in action. We have 
great and mighty acts occurring because of God Almighty. God did not just create the world by his voice and leave it alone, but his voice is continuing active to this day in which he directs and guides things by his strength and his power. Jeremiah 10.13 we read, When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. By metaphorical, I mean, I don't believe, and uh, we have every evidence to the contrary in the Bible, that the providence of thunderstorms, of the shaking of trees by the wind, is not because God opened his mouth in a physical sense and blew or something and spoke. But it's a way of describing to us that God is so powerful, he doesn't need, need to lift his arm, because we hear the metaphor of arm in the Bible, his right hand, but he just speaks and things happen. We have to use our hands. I mean, even if we speak, we're still expecting to use our hands on our feet to walk to somebody, to pick something up and get things done. He speaks and it happens. So it highlights all the more his power and his might. Now, it's the voice of the Lord over the waters, over many waters. The God of glory thunders over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful and full of majesty. It, he may be referring to a thunderstorm he witnessed and wrote a psalm about it, because there's a lot of language here about waters and rain and wind and trees shaking and everything else. But also, we have a lot of evidence of this in the psalms, that he is mocking the false gods of the ancient Near East, where their gods ruled over nature, or so they claim, and they each had a domain, right? They each had a domain little area that they controlled. And over and over again, the psalmist says, no, our God is the God of thunder. Our God is the God of rain. Our God is the God of fertility. Our God is the God of the skies. And whatever other gods you think you have, our God is in charge of all of it. Because he's the creator God. And so here, they'll be singing praises in their, what, the Philistines, as we read in, in 1 Samuel, right? They know about Jehovah. They know about the ark. They probably hear these songs from their neighbor. And they hear us singing about our God doing what their God thinks he can do, and he can only do a little bit in those domains. Their, their gods can't do everything. They're always very niche. It's kind of interesting. <clears throat> so I think that's part of what's going on here. He's saying, no, our Lord reigns, and it's our God. That's the true God. So he goes through, and we have the breaking of cedars, the skipping, the, the dividing of flames, the shaking of the earth, the giving of birth, and stripping of the trees and the branches. Uh, clearly a storm is occurring here. Uh, the language of breaking the cedars, of course, the powerful trees is the imagery here, toppled by the breath of God. The skipping and the shaking of the trees in the land of Lebanon, again, that God uh, hardly does anything but speaks, and the whole earth trembles. That's how powerful he is. We would kind of say in our metaphor, he just whisper and people tremble. Divided flames, perhaps, is an allusion to lightning, sometimes described as fire, fire in the sky, as you can imagine. It is in its own way. And then he, of course, when he speaks, he, he shakes the wilderness. He breaks it all up, the fearsome, uh, to travel in that desert, vast waste land of Kadesh is already a terrifying place for many people. And it's not terrifying to God. He just shakes it and he speaks, and it comes to nothing. In verse 8, And the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth, perhaps out of fear of the lightning storm or something, but certainly it alludes to the fact that God is the giver of life, and no one else is. And he strips the forest bare, verse 9b. 
The storm of God's voice strips the bark from the trees, from that storm. The storms of God. This all shows the might and power of our Lord and Creator. That's what he's seeing. He looks at nature and he says, this is an act of God. The trees and the ground and the lightning. We saw God's strength and power, His omnipotence in the snowstorm the last few weeks when they had winds up to 110 miles per hour blowing the fire wherever it will and we could do nothing but stand there and watch. All our technology, all our advancement as a society and we were helpless. And we lost almost a thousand homes. That was God whispering. That's our Lord. That's to whom we have to deal with by His grace and mercy. And we give to Him honor, and we give to Him glory, and we give to Him power. Yes, we ascribe to Him that might and power. We hear His might when the old trees of mighty bows break from the weight of the snowstorm. We have that several times uh, throughout the years, of course. We feel His power when the earthquakes shake our homes, although in Colorado that's uh, very rare. It did happen when I was a kid. I remember things falling down in the attic when I lived up in Westminster. Here, in Denver, we're not in San Francisco, and, and we still feel God's might through the earth shaking. Tornadoes, earthquakes, tsunamis, torrential downpours, and blizzing, uh, blinding blizzards all shout the glory and might of our Father in heaven. That's what we're reading here. And we have the conclusion of the meat of the psalm. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory! Everyone says glory. It's a a word of praise. And where do they say it, brothers and sisters? Where? In the temple, which is what? The Old Testament church building. Which means what? In the context of worship. Public praise of God. In the formal public praise of the Lord our Savior. So today, on the Lord's Day, like today... We honor and praise Him and sing psalms before Him, acknowledging the voice of the Lord who moves creation and earth in providence. The reign of the Lord, verses 10 through 11. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. It's the reign of the Lord or His rule over the creation around us, the king who is a king forever. When he sits upon the flood, uh, you see yours is capitalized uh, with the F. It's all capital in the Hebrew. Um, they believe it's alluding to the flood, and it probably is, Noahic flood. Uh, God sits upon it because God's in charge of it. It's under his control. Nature is at God's disposal, and we get rain or dry spells when he so wills. Water is very powerful. It takes a lot, to be sure, but you know it's very powerful. It shapes mountains. You can saw bits of it over time because it eats through it. Drip, drip, drip. Imagine a torrential dawn rain, and we have seen it, how powerful that is. And God sits upon that, and it's a, something that he has control of. That's the picture of here. He sits not upon it like sitting on a boat in a flood, but in the idea of being a king who sits down and he's established in his authority and his might and his power over the things of creation. And so the particular picture here of a thunderstorm 
We should not lose sight of the fact, of course, he's just using one part of the whole of creation, saying God's in charge of this. He's over the waters and the rains and the wind, and therefore he's over everything. Clearly he's over everything. He doesn't have to give a description of everything happening in creation and the weather system, but here he gives these details to highlight all the more the grace and majesty of our God, the greatness of our God. He's sitting as a triumphant king forever. He doesn't need to stand up and go to war. He has established his reign. He has nothing to prove. He's in charge. That's the picture here. The Lord sits as a king forever. No one shall overthrow him because he is king forever. His majesty is greater than nature itself and everyone inside of creation. And it's forever, brothers and sisters. Satan shall never dethrone the Lord. And therefore what? The covenant of peace given to you through Christ Jesus will never be overthrown. He strengthens his people. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. How does David get to this conclusion? But from the facts of creation, that God's power is over all things, even this scary thunderstorm that shakes the earth and the trees and shatters them with lightning and thunder. And they are under his command. And the conclusion from that is, that strength itself, my people, God will lend to you. He will give you. He will strengthen you. So when we see the lightning over the horizon, we try to get a picture of that, the last one we had, late, late, late last year, was it? Early? Fourth of July, okay, yeah. It was dark. I need a better camera. <laughs> Couldn't really get anything on that camera, no matter how long I kept the aperture open. But you could just, it was just shooting down and lighting up the sky, and that's the power of God, and it could be scary. But here he's not saying it's being scary. It's an encouragement to him. The God who controls thunder and lightning, brothers and sisters, lends you his strength, gives you might so that you can be here this evening and praise his name, and you can submit to him and carry on with your duties and callings in life throughout the week. God has that power, and that power, that voice of that power is directed for your good. That's the conclusion he draws here. <laughs> Look at all the scary stuff going on. God's behind it. But you shouldn't be scared. Why? Because it's your Lord, the Lord, all L-O-R-D, all caps, right? The covenant-keeping God. I am that I am. He has that power. He's your personal God. He's using that power for you. That's the conclusion he draws. <laughs> you can, the other conclusion is true as well. Uh, people need to be fearful of God, and you need to point that to God. God can strike you down right now. You could die. You need to be afraid of that God if you've not submitted to him. The Lord will bless his people with peace. So he draws a, a further conclusion. Give you strength to my people. Uh, presumably strength to fight their enemies. As we know, they fought them in the Old Testament over and over again. But the strength to overcome sin, the strength to be sanctified, the strength to have peace, to bless the people with peace. The peace of no more warfare, of course, in the Old Testament context. But even today, I dare say we don't want warfare. We want peace. And we pray that God would give us that peace. And we know he will give us that peace. When Christ Jesus returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth, we will have the total peace. Not just the peace of the soul, the peace of a good conscience before God that our sins have been covered by Jesus Christ, but also the peace of all creation will come to fruition, brothers and sisters, as much as the earth shakes and the skies thunder with lightning. God has overcome creation, or he has created creation. He has overcome the storms. He sits upon the flood. It is under his control. God blesses 
us with peace in Christ Jesus, the peace of conscience and condemnation from the law. And when Jesus returns, we'll have peace in all forms everywhere. This is why we praise God. For his majesty and power, power exercised over his people through his voice and his reign and strength given to us for our peace. Amen. Let us pray. We do praise and thank you, God, for this psalm as it reminds us to look to the storms, to the thunderstorms, the snowstorms, and see the beauty of your holiness, the beauty of your power and your might, and give you and praise, Lord, right then and there for your strength and might over these storms and over the lightning and over this creation, God. And you give that strength to your people and you bless us. We praise you, God, for that continued blessing. May we be encouraged therein. Amen. Let us stand and sing Psalm 29b. Psalm 29b. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship, uh, the uh, blessings, the love of Christ Jesus, God, Father above, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.